so I'm sitting here with uh, Dr. Dimitri Williams, who is an associate professor at uh, the University of Southern California in the Communications School. Uh, he teaches courses on uh, technology and society. He teaches courses on data analytics um, and video games. Um, so Dr. Williams, um, there's a stereotype that the people who play video games are loners, that they don't have as much social interaction as other people. Um, but your work challenges that. Can you, can you speak a little bit to that? One of the major things that's happened over the last you know, 10, 20 years have been huge changes in technology that have allowed people to play together more easily. Um, and more recently, a lot of changes that have allowed people who never used to play at all to play by themselves more often. So we have a lot of conflicting forces happening at the same time. It's pretty messy. Um, if I was going to make a broad, really, really broad statement, I would say that players are vastly more social um, now than they were 10 years ago, uh, which might be a little bit lower than they were at the very beginning. Um, so the internet was very, very disruptive. Um, and that we've kind of had fits and starts and peaks and valleys and how easy it is for people to play with each other, how much fun it is and, and um, how much the technology supports it. So independent of what your personality is, the medium uh, often pushes us to and away from each other, depending on what's developing. And when you say that people are more social and that they, they play with each other, you mean that they can kind of meet in the, the virtual world um, and interact in the virtual world, is that right? Yeah, so let's take a slightly longer historical view of this. When games first start, um, they're in arcades, and they're, um, you know, you have to be physically present. So from the first Pong games or computer space games, you have people going and they're meeting in bars, nightclubs, and then traditional arcades that people might, you know, remember now. Um, and then we have the convenience of being able to play at home. And this is a lot like what happens when you used to go to the movies, but now you can watch things on your nice big home screen. So people stop being less public and interacting with lots of different types of people, and they're able to do things in convenience to their own home. Um, and the multiplayer potential at the beginning was kind of limited. Uh, and then it got better. Um, so that suddenly some games had the ability to play with two people or three people or four people. Um, and that was a little bit of a social renaissance. Um, and then we had the internet, and suddenly where you were didn't matter as much. So now you can play with two people, 10 people, or 2,000 people. and um, now you're with more people, but they're now they're not in your living room, right? So you have less face-to-face -face suddenly. So we had like this, you know, increase and then decrease. Um, and so now you can play with more people than ever before, but because you aren't physically present, that really does change things. Um, and sometimes you have a little bit of resurgence of people who do like to come over and play with each other at their apartment or their house. And that's probably the face-to-face -face is really the gold standard. It is for all, you know, computer-mediated communication. Um, we're just healthier when we're with each other in person. So um, it's great for someone that never goes out um, and maybe bad if it stops them from going out in the first place. Hmm. So I guess it just depends on the, the type of person that you are. Yeah. Yeah. The research, you know, we got charts and graphs and I can use big words for this, but essentially if you're outgoing, um, you're going to do pretty well everywhere. Um, if what you really need are connections to other new kinds of people, then going online can be great. Um, if what you need is really solid uh, emotional support, then it's usually not as strong as cultivating in-person face-to-face relationships. So you have to really ask yourself or on behalf of your kids, if you're thinking about them, what kind of personality am I? What kind of personality are my kids? What are they missing? Do they not have diversity and access to lots of people? Okay, going online can be good. 
Um, do they not have strong social support? Probably not the right initial answer. Where do they fall in those scales? So with the end goal of kind of social interaction in mind, are, are there better games? Sure. For people who want to socialize, um, then games that uh, games where you need other people to succeed are probably healthier and better than games where the other people are essentially just opponents and they may as well be artificial intelligence. That's really interesting. So, so if you drop into Fortnite and you play by yourself, there are 63 other people, but they're not really people to you. You don't interact with them, you don't hear them, whatever. Um, if you drop in with three of your friends, then suddenly it's a social experience. Hmm. And that's very different. Um, and you kind of need each other and you have to work together. So maybe you're maintaining friendships while you're fighting with the other 60 bad guys and girls you know, setting. If you do some really more complex game, like a massive multiplayer online game, where there are thousands of people, um, you're going to need to learn how to build teams. And you know you might you need to get nine or 19 or however many other people to join you to organize to accomplish this big goal. And so it ends up being like a really complicated social exercise, like the kind of person who is really good at party planning, you know, or is a good leader or manager at work is good at these things. And other people who hate those tasks would hate doing it in games that would feel like a job, right? So um, imagine a game where, this is this, there's a typical set for most of these games is you have three roles. One person is there to kill the monster. One person is there to protect everyone from the monster. And one person is off to the side helping everybody. And if you come into this space with only one of those, you lose. So the game developers have made it so that you need all three of these roles to be present in order to beat the monster in the first place. And so they've built interdependence into what we call the game's mechanics. And that um, takes people and forces them to interact with each other and actually connect in some human way that they otherwise weren't going to. So you take the same people and put them in one game versus another, and they'll be more or less social depending on the design of the game. So, so you talk a little bit about, um, or, or your research kind of goes into how video games are third places. Can you kind of explain what a third place is? Sure. So it's certainly not my theory. It's a guy named Ray Oldenburg um, who wrote a book called The Great Good Place. And most people would be more familiar with his work um, from the perspective of Starbucks coffee outlets because Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks, took these principles and said, we want Starbucks to be a third place. What does that mean? Uh, Oldenburg's idea was that the first place is your home and the second place is your work and that that's not enough for us in life. In order to get the kinds of civic interactions that we need, the kind of social mixing that we need to be um, a fully realized person and to be happy um, and to have kind of contact with others, we need a third place. So people are old enough to remember the TV show, show Cheers. That's a bar. It's neither work nor home, and you go in, and it's a leveler. It's meritocratic, just like games, where everybody knows your name was even the, you know, the tagline yeah. of the show, right? And you walk yeah. in, they say, Norm, and everybody knows you. Yeah. And there's something incredibly important about having that space that isn't one of those first two roles. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, games wind up being that third place. Is that enough? Should they also have other physical third places, so to speak? Arguably, they should. Um, but it's certainly better than nothing. And one of the virtues of a third place, again, is this kind of meritocratic space, but it's a place where you get to interact with people that you can't in those other two because of how society treats you. So your you know, demographic group X, you're not allowed to mix with demographic group Y. You go online and you can, because it doesn't matter if you're black or white, everybody wants to kill the dragon, 
right? So you get this mixing that you can't get in your, you know, suburb where diversity is, you know, shunned, uh, or you're not going to meet somebody from a different race or religion or age group or, or gender, right? So that kind of mixing is really good. And conversation winds up being sort of the main uh, outcome of it in a good third place. There are plenty of games that utterly fail at this, that are toxic stews of awfulness, yeah. right? But the potential is there, and a lot of them do um, fulfill that role. And, and do people know that they are different in the games? Do they know uh, what's different? So, you, I mean, you talk about how they can interact with people of different backgrounds and, and, and people they uh, normally would not interact with. Do they know that they are different people, or does it right. you, you just kind of have a a blank face is that right so it's a great question about the depth of the relationship in the beginning they're almost always super super shallow so if you it really depends on the communication medium that you have with the other person mm -hmm. so if you can't hear them you can't type to them then no it doesn't matter who it is it may as well be artificial intelligence right a non-player character as the kids mm -hmm. would call it and then the next layer up is having text and so there's a lot of functional task-oriented stuff, like you go left, I'll go right. But eventually you can start saying things like, where do you live, you know, ASL or these kinds of interactions. The next layer up is when you add voice. And when you add voice, you hear gender and age and ethnicity for the first time. And that's when you start to get potential depth. Depth doesn't always mean good. I mean, if you're racist and then suddenly you realize the other person is the group you don't like, now you, have a reason to dislike them that you didn't before. So you can discriminate in, in the sense that discriminate is kind of a neutral word in its original intent, right? Um, but a lot of other people would find ways to get past some of those things because they realize, oh, I, I enjoy hanging out with this person. I don't really care what their background is. Or I was never going to interact with, you know, uh, uh, a Sikh from Pakistan um, who lives in New Jersey when I'm a white boy in California. And, you know, how great is that? So I, I can see your point, and I think that that's um, that that is a unique opportunity, especially for people who who don't you know uh, don't have the ability to kind of meet those kinds of people in, in everyday life. Do, do your views on social media kind of align with your views on on video gaming? Um, in the sense that uh, I'll give you a waffly. A Weasley answer and say sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. Yeah, in that sense, um, I do have strong feelings about social media. Um, I and others research it. Um, I've watched children grow up and grow through it. Got a lot of pros and a lot of cons to it. Um, the best thing I can say about both media and social media and games is they aren't television, and TV and its ad content tends to be worse than almost anything. Like you want to think about what causes, bad attitudes, bad habits, TV and mostly ads on TV, those are the villains. And so the less time you're spending with corporate driven advertising based media, probably the better off you are overall as a person. That's my long view of the research across all media. Um, but social media have um, a huge amount of compulsion um, and addictive aspects to them. Um, which can very easily, and in most cases, uh, cross over to really unhealthy areas. Um, you know, the inability to stop, to not look, um, to not engage with people around you, the fear of missing out, and the massive social pressure, especially that young people feel to always be connected, 
um, is, um, a, I think, a huge net negative for many of them. And you know, I talk to teenagers, and I have uh, I have two in my house, and they have no choice. Like, if you're not on, you're missing out. But they all recognize that they wish they weren't on, and they wish they were face to face. Um, and so it's really sad to me that um, it's this blessing and a curse that they're saddled with, and they don't really have much of a choice. Do you think that there's anything that they could do? I mean, that's a, a pretty pervasive question, I guess, but just anything they could do to kind of um, fight that urge to continue? Uh, very little, um, because if they disconnect, then they it's not the fear of missing out, it's the actual missing out. There's a social network effect, what we call network effects, where if they're the one person that's not there, they're not going to hear about everything. Their lives are lived online in you know, Snapchat and, and in text ch chat channels. And so it's it's not a um, uh, all or nothing uh, proposition in the sense, well, I'm sorry, it is an all or nothing proposition. So you either miss out on all the social stuff, but you get the healthy face-to-face, -face, you know, or, or vice versa. Um, you can't have your cake and eat it too in this case. Um, the more that they can do things in person with each other and be cognizant to put the phone down and interact, the better off they are. And we as older people, uh, have a responsibility to model better behavior, and I uh, we all fail at it too. So you know, sitting around the dinner table, everyone put your damn phones down. <laughs> You're out at dinner with friends, put the phones in the middle, and the first person to look buys the food. You know, whatever it is that you got to do, you have to eke out the spaces to be present and engaged and be real with people face to face. That's what being human is all about. No substitute. Well, that's a very good uh, thing to end on. So, so thank you very much, Dr. Williams. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.